0: We're grateful for the time that we've had. We're we're grateful for the time that we will have, Lord willing, unless Jesus returns in our service, which would enable us just to continue to worship our great God forever. And then we wouldn't have to be interrupted anymore. We would be together in fellowship. We'd be together in glory. We'd be together with our Lord. But in case he does not, we'll turn in our Bible to Genesis chapter 9. And we will read His Word together. We'll read verses 1 through 7 to begin. We'll cover the whole chapter, um, just in case you've been wondering, are we ever going to get through Genesis? We, um, we had to start slowly, but uh, we're, we're going to begin picking up as we get into these accounts that are meant to be read all at once and studied together. So, Genesis chapter 9, uh, let's read verses 1 through 7 together. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Father, we praise You. We thank You for Your goodness, Lord, that You are good. Father, You've been good to create us. You've been good to bring us here. Father, we pray that You would speak Your good word into our hearts. Lord, to change us, to lift up our eyes to You, to to view our Savior and our Lord Jesus. God, to worship Him now and throughout the day, throughout every day for Your glory in Jesus' name. Well, last week together we viewed chapters 6 through 8 and God's terrible judgment, God's righteous judgment on the earth because of man's sin. And we say terrible not because we're judging God or, or His judgment, but because it was a terrible judgment. It was, it was a, a very serious, extremely serious judgment. Judgment that God brought on the earth, but then against that backdrop, we saw His amazing grace—His grace to save when it wasn't deserved. Because God's grace is powerful, it overcomes His judgment. We got to see that last week in chapter six through eight, and Noah and his family and the animals all uh, were were delivered from the flood, and they came out of the ark. And I need to make a correction from something that I said last week. Uh, if you were here, as we talked about the Ark and we made a, com- a size comparison to the square footage of the Ark, uh, I compared it to the size of the fries here in Prescott Valley. And, and we said, well, it was about three times the size of the fries. Well, that was based on old information, so uh, I wanted to apologize for that, point that out. I spoke to the manager, actually, of the store. <laughs> uh, we, we know him. <laughs> but... Um, he said, no, it's been expanded since then. It's, it's about 100,000 square feet. So the ark was a little bit bigger, only by a little bit, than the size of the fries here in Prescott Valley. So, but still immense, right? Okay, I needed to get that correction out there in case you were still holding on to that. <laughs> Probably not, but. Okay, so Noah and his family and the animals that were on the ark all came out of the ark. And they all lived happily ever after, right? <laughs> if only. What does it look like to live in this world now? After God's judgment of sin, that worldwide flood, His deliverance by grace, what do we do now? What's different? What's changed and what's the same? And When He started out, He created everything and it was good, it was very good, and then mankind fell into sin and we saw a really big mess of the world that man was making after that point. And, and now there was this flood that wiped out everything And so, you don't want everything to stay the same that it was, but you also don't want to see everything completely change. What's changed? What's different? Because change can be very difficult. Change can be stressful. Now, for Noah and his family, I mean, what's stressful is seeing everyone wiped out before you, being saved on the ark, um, living on the ark for well over a year. Uh, You know, those things would be considered in our word today traumatic. That, that would be a traumatic experience. But then, then you look out, you get out of the ark, and, and it's a different world. The world has changed. Uh, scientists tell us, and, and when I say scientists, I'm referring to scientists who believe in the Lord and who believe His Word and still can conduct science. Uh, we call them creation scientists, but they are scientists. They say that evidence abounds for the flood, along with some extensive volcanic activity that happened uh, after the flood, which brought about an ice age after the flood. So, that would have provided bridges across water for animals and people to go onto different parts of land than where the ark had landed on the earth. Or, according to chapter 10, verse 25, land was split apart. Later in Genesis, we'll see that, Lord willing, next week as Pastor Tom leads us through that. But um, That could have been when the earth split apart. But anyway, at this point, there have been some changes. The climate is different. Yes, there was climate change in the past. (laughs) Almost like there's a cycle that, okay, well, that's another time. There was climate change. The land was different. It had been wiped clean of animals and people, and now they're to be spreading out on this land. Um, After being underwater for over a year, plants look different. You know, everything is different, and all of that's probably pretty obvious to Noah and his family. But what's not as obvious is, um, okay, so now what does life look like in this very changed planet? What does God think about us? If we mess up, is he going to flood the earth again? I mean, this time are we going to get on the ark if he does it again? Um, what would it take for God to do that again? Uh, does, does God care about mankind? Does he care about life? He created it all, and then he wiped it all out. Does God care about it? Maybe, maybe life just isn't that important. You see, Noah and his family and us, as we read the, these accounts of what happened historically, we might interpret this wrongly. We might, in, we might get some wrong lessons about God and about ourselves when God blotted out all of humanity and animals. We, we might take it the wrong way. So it's important for us to study this because this is the world that we live in now. We don't know everything about the way that the world was before the flood and especially before the fall. But this is the world now that we are living in. This is, this is a, a, a big reset, a starting over. And here's, here's the, some of the parallels that we see. You remember in the beginning in chapter 1, when God created the earth, there was waters all over the earth, and then the waters gathered together, the land came out, and then later God brought forth man onto the earth, blessed him, commanded him to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. God gave him all kinds of food, gave him one exception. And then man fell into sin. All of that's going to be redone. All that's going to happen all over again with Noah and his family as they come out of the ark. So let's learn together in three parts. Th- this chapter that teaches us, here's what's different, here's what's not. That, that lingering question of, is God ever going to do that again? <laughs> what would that look like? Um, and then also, what is life going to look like? What, what happens to the world um, spoiler alert, it's still sinful. <laughs> mankind is still sinful. But in three parts, let's look at verses 1 to 7 and see God's blessings and instructions. God's blessings and instructions. As Noah and his family come out of the ark, the waters have receded. They've, the, the dry land has gathered. It's, it's appeared, just as in Genesis chapter 1, God has brought man onto the land, and he here blesses and commands mankind, just as he did in chapter 1. Verse 1 here in chapter 9 should sound very familiar to us. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. The repeated command here that we see shows us that this is the command for all people for all time. God told the first man and woman this, and then he repeated it with the first man and woman and family after the flood. This is not a command only to the people of Israel or only to those who believe in God or only to those who are good enough God says, be fruitful, multiply. We're supposed to have babies if the Lord allows, if the Lord allows. This has come to be known as the creation mandate, the creation mandate. And the first part of the creation mandate is that, in general, mankind enjoys the blessings of God. God blessed mankind after the flood, and that hasn't changed. God is good, as we sang this morning. God is good to all mankind. He gives all mankind the sunshine and and the rain, and hopefully we'll get some because the air this morning was really bad, wasn't it? It looked really bad, but but we have the wind and we have the rain, we have food, we have shelter. So often God's goodness shines through to all people. Uh, He blesses mankind. He loves mankind. Uh, Mankind is made in His image, and He loves us, but that will not prevent His judgment, His wrath when it is time uh, he does love us, but He will judge us. So, the first part of the creation mandate is that we enjoy His blessings. The next part of the creation mandate that has not changed is the command to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. And we talked about how being fruitful is connected with, um, uh, being fruitful is connecting with multiplying, um, but fruitful is also just in your, in your endeavors, in your work, um, fruitfulness and, and, and accomplishing what you should be accomplishing in your work. At home, being fruitful, multiplying, uh, filling the earth, spreading across across the planet, as we talked about, was not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing to to spread out, to to move out across the planet. Um, Colonialization, um, you know, it's a buzzword today. That wasn't a bad thing. Now, enslaving people and slaughtering people to get in your way, those are obviously, those are bad things that mankind did. But spreading out across the earth and having children and raising children, those are all part of the creation mandate that God has for mankind. But then we get to the change in the creation mandate, the change from before the flood until after the flood, the change because of man's sin. You remember after God gave these blessings and these instructions in chapter 1, God said, subdue the earth, have dominion over it. And that dominion included the fish and the birds and the animals and creeping things and everything on, on, the, on the planet. Well, it seems that at that point in chapter 1, that um, it was a little easier than it is now. It, there has been a change now after the flood. It was a little more straightforward. You remember in chapter 2, verse 19, when God brought the animals to, to Adam to name, uh, they came to him. And Adam was there with animals, and, and there was no... Um, trouble. There was no conflict. The animals came up, uh, and it was pretty straightforward. He would name them, and the idea was, Adam, you need a helper, just as these animals have a helper, and and your helper is not among the animals. One like you is needed. But he gave them names, which seems to indicate there was a level of uh, comfort or trust between man and animals. You remember um, that the serpent came to Eve later on, and the serpent coming next to Eve didn't cause fright. It it didn't cause trouble. Um, Maybe the speaking serpent should have tipped her off, like we've said, right? But the serpent being close to the woman was not an issue. That was not a problem at the time. Um, Even here in chapter uh, 6, when we studied this, the animals came to Noah to come to the ark. There seems to have been a a comfort, a trust between animals and people, but here in chapter 9, verse 2, the fear of you And the dread of you shall be upon every beast and bird and and everything that creeps, all the fish of the sea. You see, before this, mankind was to subdue and have dominion over the creation, and that part hasn't changed, but what has changed is that apparently the animals are going to resist that. They're they're going to resist that out of fear of mankind. That's why animals run from us. That's why animals hide from people. They, They attack us when they become cornered because they're scared of people. They have fear and dread of mankind. There's no bond there. Now, there are exceptions, of course, with pets and different animals that we've tamed, but that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of work with an animal. And in fact, usually it's a pretty clear indication that if an animal is not afraid of humans, there's something very wrong with the animal, right? And they are generally put down. But this is an issue now. This is a change after the first eight chapters of Genesis, now here in our world, the animals don't just come running up to us and and we can have fun with them. But hold your place here and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11 because God's going to restore that trust, those relationships between animals and people and even between animals and animals later in what we call the millennial kingdom when Christ comes to rule on this planet for a thousand years Here's what God says in Isaiah chapter 11, in verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Wolves eat lambs. (laughs) But not in Isaiah 11, not in the millennial kingdom. Uh, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together. And look at this. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The relationships are changing. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. A child, a, a little baby who's, who's just crawling around but still nursing from, from his or her mother will be able to play near the, the hole of a snake The weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. You don't want your toddler (laughs) to be sticking his or her hand into the the den of an adder, any kind of snake. But they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So God's going to restore that in the future where animals aren't afraid of animals and people and animals can, can be together and they're not afraid any longer. But in the world we live in now, these relationships are broken. Mankind is still commanded and blessed to subdue and have dominion, but now it's a little harder than it would have been because of our sin, because of our sin that brought this in. So God's blessings and instructions are renewed, and they're, they're mostly the same with only a small but significant change. So as we continue to work in this passage, we're reminded from chapter 1, verse 29, that God gave to mankind and every animal, every plant for food. Every tree with seed in its fruit and every green plant. Remember, there was only one exception, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, here in chapter 9, God's going to, again, give free reign for food. God's so good to give abundantly and, and, and just to provide so amazingly and bless, in a blessing. Uh, there's only going to be one exception. The free reign of plants as food has now the addition of, we get to eat animals now, <laughs> As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Now, some people want to say, well, in, you know, when God created us originally, we appeared to be vegetarians. We should still be that way. But God's word here says, I give this to you. I give you meat. And so 1 Timothy 4, we won't turn there, but 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 to 3 has some things to say about people who forbid marriage and forbid eating meat and, and forbid the things that God has given to us. This is a good thing that God has given us meat. It's more difficult now, though, because now, instead of the plants that we get to eat, and, and re- remember, sin made that more difficult, the curse on the ground, now we have to work really hard, and the weeds come. Well, now we get all of the plants, and we get the animals, but now the animals are running away from us, right? They're not just standing right next to us, waiting for us to, to, to kill them and take it and take a bite. What that means is, God has sanctioned hunting and fishing. <laughs> That's a good thing, right? That's a blessing, Praise God that He has enabled that. He's given that to us. But there's one exception. Just as in the garden, there's now one exception. The exception here is do not eat the blood, the life of the animal. Now, now why would this need to be said? Well, there are tribes, people in certain parts of the world who know that meat doesn't preserve very well, and they will cut off meat from an animal that's alive and consume the meat, and then it's just a cruel, incredibly cruel practice in a terrible way to treat the animals that that are feeding them. But that's not really what's in mind here, although that would probably be included. But God is teaching us, what He's telling us here is that life is special. Life is truly special. It's worthy of respect. And as a constant picture of that, when you are eating something that had been alive, don't eat the blood that was making it alive, that, that was part of how it was alive. You know, you can, you can take an animal or you can take a person and you can break a bone, but the person or the animal will still be alive. You can slice the flesh, you can cut into it, and, and there will be pain and there will be difficulty, but the animal will be alive. When the blood comes out, there's no life. The life is gone. And so, this is a constant picture of the, the preciousness, the respect that's deserving and worthy of life. So, don't, don't eat or drink the blood. You know, eat, eat the tissue. Eat, eat the bone marrow, right? I mean, we have bone marrow soups and, and different things. Eat anything you want, but not the blood. Now, some of you in there, uh, here in, with us in this room, are thinking, man, that means I don't get to have raw steak or medium-rare steak, Right? <laughs> But I've actually, I did some research this week, and I have verified that when you have a rare or medium rare steak and you cut into it, that's not blood on the plate. It looks like blood. It's myoglobin mixed with water, and that's why it's red. When it comes into contact with oxygen, it turns it red. When you keep cooking it, it turns it brown. (laughs) Okay, so we're okay to eat medium rare (laughs) or rare steaks. That's not blood. God's not telling you you don't get to have steak the way you like it. (laughs) if you can afford it anymore. Okay. (laughs) This was the command to all. Don't eat the life, the blood of the animal. Later, God explains in Leviticus 17 that Israel was to use the blood as part of their sacrifices. Why? Because the blood was the life of the animal. It lost its life so that you can have your life preserved. Life for life because of your sin. But even more important than respecting life in general, and and including animal life, is respecting human life, as God says here. Animals are not to take human life. And other humans are not to take human life. Why not? Because God will require a reckoning for the life of man. Why will He do that? Because verse 6 says, because God made man in His own image. Now, did you catch what God did here? God God in His Word just quoted God's Word. This is is the earliest commentary on God's Word. God's Word tells us, I've made man in my own image. Now, here, later, I've made man in my own image, so don't kill him. (laughs) Don't kill man or woman who have been made in my image. It's the earliest commentary on God's Word, and it shows us the implications of this. Life is special, especially human life. And as we've said, human life that's special and should be protected is not based on any certain qualities or abilities or traits. The image of God is inherent within all human beings, no matter what age or stage, no matter what you can or cannot do, no matter what you look like or don't look like, color of skin, gender, even if you're gender confused, you have respect, you have dignity because you are a human being. From the moment of conception to the moment of death, and and again, it can be argued even after death for the body of a human being, from womb to tomb, human life is worthy of respect, of dignity, because human life has been made in God's image. But even though God will require a reckoning, He sets in place a mechanism here on earth for for those who take the life of a human being, A, a reckoning here on the earth. The person who takes the life of another person will lose his life. Or her life. In other words, capital punishment is sanctioned by God here. And this becomes important for us as we try to work through what's happening politically, even in our country. Should we have the death penalty? Should we not? Why was ever such a thing invented? What, who would ever have thought of that, and, and why is it there? And this, it's especially important when we try to grapple with even things that happened this past week in, in Texas, and, and we'll, we'll not mention the name of the, the man who, who killed 19 children and two adults. But as, as the police encountered him and his life was taken, we understand that that, that was the right action to take. And, and we know that there are people around us who say, well, he got off easy because now he doesn't have to face uh, the music. But God says here, I will require a reckoning. He, he did not get off easy. What we see here is that there's not only now a fear between animals and people, man now has a fear of, of other man. Uh, there, there's a, there's a, Instead of this level of trust and peace that existed in the world between people, between animals, between animals and people, there's now this fear, a, a fear of being killed, fear of, of being killed in retribution for killing, and, and so now there's… there's not peace. Now there's not trust or, or rest. There is this accountability, this, this rule by fear. But think about this command. God has placed the responsibility to repay the taking of human life into the hands of human beings who have hopefully not taken the life of a human. So for today, when people try to prohibit the death penalty, even for, for something as, as terrible as murder, It is yet another example of mankind trying to throw off God's boundaries, His distinctions, His lines, His laws, His rules that are meant for our good. And we'll talk about some exceptions later in Genesis, but as a general rule, it's wrong to kill babies, children, adults, the elderly. It's wrong to take the life of a human being. And God will require an account. Even when animals kill people, God says, I'll require it from the animals. This is, in reality, what we see here is actually, and some of you are going to balk at this and say, no, nah, I'm not seeing that, I don't agree with you on that. But what we're seeing here is actually the beginnings of human government. Human government. You so say, why? Well, what did it look like before, this rule, before God gave this rule? If you t- kill somebody, then you, your life needs to be taken. Well, it looks like chapter 6 Verse 11, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. It was violent, it was corrupt, it was a mess and there was nobody ruling over the people who just did whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. So government is a key part of order and flourishing for mankind. The beginnings of it are here. I say, well, how do you make that jump to to government? Well, you need people to make a, a determination, has someone been killed? Did this person do it? Is there enough evidence for this person to have done it? Uh, we need people to, to make those determinations. We need people to, to decide whether that's the appropriate action to take. We need people to carry out that sentence. And we need a way to, to make sure that the people who have taken their time to, to perform those functions are, are able to support their families. And so you can start to see just the beginning of, of the divine institution of government, And and part of the reason that it exists, now mankind, of course, mars it and defaces it and and messes it all up, but government was part of God's plan. And we'll see more of that as as we continue in Genesis. But so far, we've seen what's changed and what's different. A lot of things have stayed the same, but there's a lot that's different. The the land has appeared. Mankind goes out. He receives his blessings, his instructions from God. God gives great grace, great provision, with only one exception – And just to ensure we understand it that way, God gives the blessing and command again here in verse 7. He says, and you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth. And the word there is swarm. Swarm all over it like like just a swarm of grasshoppers that that come around here a lot, right? Just swarm, go all over the place. If we would just trust this God, this good God, if we would love Him so that we would obey Him, we would find more peace and joy and hope. Than we could ever find here on this planet, on earth, here. But those are the blessings and instructions of God. And let's, let's look next at God's covenant in verses 8 through 17. Number two, God's covenant. We've seen his blessings and instructions. Now God settles the question of is he ever going to do that again? Verse 9. God begins to make this covenant. We see the expanse of the covenant, how wide this reaches. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast on the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. So, what God is doing here is he sets himself up on one side and he puts everything else that's ever been created that's living on the other side. And he says, we're setting up a covenant here. God on one side, everything else on the other. And again, fish aren't named because they're not really affected by floods, like everything else is. But the covenant is between God and every living thing. Verse 12 says, every living creature. Verse 13 says, the earth, speaking of everything that's on the earth. Verse 15 says, it's between God and every living creature of all flesh. Verse 16 says, between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Verse 17, all flesh on the earth. Do you think he means it? (laughs) He says it several times in different ways. That's, that's the expansiveness of it. That's the width, how wide it goes. Then comes the permanence of the covenant in verse 11. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall a flood destroy the earth. The end of verse 12, the covenant is made with, between you and every living creature for all future generations. Verse 15, never again. Verse 16 says this is an everlasting covenant. Do you think he means that? <laughs> So, so we've seen an expansiveness. It's with every living creature. There's a permanence of this covenant that God makes, that, that it lasts forever. Finally, we see an assurance of the covenant. Who is it that's making this covenant? God is. God said to Noah, I establish this covenant. Verse 11, I establish this covenant. Now, we would have to literally read every single word and verse in this section to, us, to see this. But here in the ESV, 18 times God says it's either God or I or me or mine. What does that mean? Well, that means that this entire covenant is predicated on who God is, right? Who God is. The only assurance that we have for the covenant is whether God will do what He says He will do. Can God really make a covenant, and can He really keep that covenant? That's what this whole thing is about, right? Look, there's nothing for man to do. This is what's called an unconditional or a unilateral covenant. God's on one side, as we said, Everything else is on the other, and there's no condition on this side. It's only one-sided. God has all responsibility to make sure that this never happens again. Usually in a covenant, it's, look, I've got my side, you've got your side, let's agree, and if either one of us falls down on this, the whole thing kind of falls apart. But there's no responsibility on our side or, or the animal's side to ensure that this continues. It's all on God's side. It's all dependent on who God is. The only source of assurance that it will never happen again that we have is God's Word. What is that worth? Well, for Noah and his family and every animal, it's everything. Is God ever going to do this again? He said He won't. Their total dependence is fully placed rightly on God as it is for us. Not just for a flood, but for every breath, every moment, every beat of our heart. It's God's decision to allow that to continue. He gives grace for life and grace for breath. Every bit of it that we have is a gift from this good God. What is your response to that? As you dwell on that, as you meditate on that, you, you realize there's nothing you can do to make that happen or to earn that or, or to continue that. It's all the gift of God. As we think about that, as we meditate on that, it, it becomes the source of worship for God, not just here on Sunday mornings, but on Sunday afternoons and on Tuesday mornings and Thursday nights and, and all throughout the week. Wow, this amazing, good God, the, the worship, the awe, the wonder, the humility that this brings. And acknowledging this God, you know, we, we talk about this fairly regularly, but it's because we forget so often. We, we, we put it out of our mind practically so often we Christians live uh, like we're atheists. We, we live like the, there's no good God who's providing, who's watching, who's protecting, who's guiding, who's, who's giving so much of himself for us. So, so consider this and, and respond to that with worship. This is part of how we know the flood judgment had to be worldwide. This this should jump off the page to us. According to the World Resources Institute, more people are affected by floods every year than any other type of natural disaster. Uh, On average, 21 million people are affected by floods every year. So, if God said, I'm never going to flood the earth again, and the earth has not been flooded, his word has held true. But if God said, I'm never going to flood the way I did before, and it's happening every year, all the time, then God's word means nothing. Right? God has kept his word. He continues to keep his word. How great is our God to give us these promises and this covenant. Now, the sign of the covenant, the sign of the covenant is the rainbow. The actual word is just bow, like an archer uses with a bow and arrow. That's the word. Um, But that bow is now turned upside down. It's hung up. The judgment time is finished. God's not moody or capricious. He's promising to us that He will never, He's given us a covenant that He will never flood the earth again. Why the rainbow? Well, it's Ezekiel 1 tells us that there's a rainbow in God's presence as Ezekiel tries to struggle to tell us what he saw with God on the throne. There's a rainbow with God. John in Revelation does the same thing. He struggles to, to, to describe, wow, <laughs> this God on his throne. He, he describes a rainbow. It's always present with him. When God sees it on the earth, it reminds him that he's, he's patient because all he sees is sin continually being cranked out of us, but he's patient, he's loving, he's kind, he's good only once in a while do we see a flood. Comparatively speaking, only once in a while do we see a flood or some other kind of natural disaster. And in those times, people ask, why? Why did this happen? But what we should be asking really maybe the better question is, why hasn't this been happening? Why hasn't it happened more? It's only because of God's patience, His goodness, His kindness all the time. Only once in a while do we see kind of the curtain pulled back a little bit. We see this this flood come in, or we see an earthquake, or we see something, some kind of natural disaster. And the question has been, wow, God, how have you spared us from that to this point? It's a continual sign that God stands by his word. He remembers his word. Brother, sister, do you remember God's word? Every time you see the rainbow in the clouds and the sky, even in sprinklers, right? You can see a rainbow in the sprinklers. Every time you see that rainbow, remember the ugliness of your sin. The ugliness of the sin in the world and, and the amazing beauty of God's grace. Because all, when God looks at mankind, he sees his image, but it's marred by sin continually. Yet he sees that he's patient, he's kind, he's waiting for our repentance, our belief in him. See the greatness of sin, but see the greaterness of His mercy, His grace, His patience with us. Some Christians in time past taught their children whenever they see the rainbow to pray the, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, other suggestions that are out there in the world, you know, when you see a rainbow, go to the end of it because there's a pot of gold, right? Right? Um, for, the, for the Navajo people around us, the rainbow is the path of the Holy Spirits that are, that are ascending and descending. I suggest we take a similar approach, not adopting the, those wrong ideas, but whenever you see the rainbow to, to stop and to pray, even when you see the rainbow on a pride flag, that aberration of God's covenant sign, pray. Praise God for His grace in your prayer. Praise God for His righteous judgment in your prayer. Pray when you see the rainbow for for your heart and mind not to fall into sin. Pray for forgiveness when you have sinned. Confess your sins to the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pray to God. Pray for a greater love for people to share with them His truth. Those people who are in sin, who identify as LGBTQIA, on and on it goes, on and plus, (laughs) On it goes, those who support, those people who identify in those ways, who who have turned away from the Lord, pray for them. Pray for yourself. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Not only that, every time you witness a flood, every time there's a natural disaster, pray. Remember the sinfulness of sin, the extreme graciousness of God. Don't think, don't ever think that God brings a flood into an area because their sin is so bad. And don't listen to people who tell you that, that, well, God's bringing that judgment on those people because their sin is so bad. That's what we deserve. Our sin is that bad. But it's God's grace and His kindness not to bring that to us most of the time, almost all of the time. This is God's covenant. I will never again do this with all of you for all generations, every creature. And so now God has answered the questions about what is life like now, what's different, what's changed. Is He ever going to do that again? He's answered those questions. Now we see in verses 18 to 29... Uh, briefly we'll go over this section because it's baffled so many people like what's going on here, what happened who did what, commentators have had a field day um, Noah had three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth every one of us is descended from one of those three men and we need to remember that it's important for just a mi- in, in just a minute we'll see that Noah decided at the ripe young age of 600 years old to plant a vineyard <laughs> to start gardening, he, he grew the grapes he harvested the grapes, he fermented the grapes he drank the grapes, and he became drunk Now, it's possible that Noah was the first one to do this, but as we've always seen, even when you're under the influence of alcohol or something else, the person is still held responsible for their actions. Now, the Bible does not prohibit alcohol, and we don't have time this morning to talk about what the Bible says, because the Bible says a lot more than just, it doesn't say I can't, (laughs) okay? One of the questions that you should ask is, you know, what good is this bringing? What, What good is it doing? Often, so often, it does not work out for the, for the people around you very well. It doesn't work out for you very well. Noah is not explicitly condemned for his actions here, but look what he does in verse 21. He drank of the wine, he became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. So Ham, his son, comes in. He sees his father without any clothing, and he comes and tells his brothers. Now you say, why is that such a big deal? It's needful for us to know that nakedness was undignified in, in this time. It was a disgrace are, are you a person? Are you a human being? Do, do you have control over your faculties and your body? Um, if so, then you should be clothed. You know, that's the idea. As a, as a basic level, you should be standing up. If you're a man, stand up. Wear clothing that's appropriate, right? It's a basic level of, of humanity and strength and vitality. If you have no clothes on, it's because you're weak in some way. You, you've been weakened. Maybe, you're, maybe you don't have your right mind. Maybe you've been conquered and you're vulnerable to whatever anybody will do to you now because you have been conquered, you are weak, you're subdued by a stronger enemy. And so when Ham comes in and sees his father that way, Ham declares to his brothers, I just saw him, I'm stronger, I'm better, I'm, I'm above our father. That's what's happening here when, you, when we read these verses together. But Shem and Japheth help their father. It's very careful. They come in backwards and they lay a cloth over him so that he's no longer unclothed. But that sin of Ham was prompted by Noah's drunkenness. So Noah took the fruit uh, from the vine and brought about sin, just as Adam and Eve took from the fruit and brought about sin. Now, the difference is, of course, that the sin was already in Ham, but we see the sin continuing in mankind. So Noah finds out, and he brings the only words we hear from Noah, a curse and a blessing. And the confusing part of the curse is that the curse falls on Ham's youngest son, Canaan. Why did he do that? Well, as we said, we all came from one of these three sons. If, if, if Noah's curse fell on Ham himself, can you imagine a third of mankind being under a curse? Uh, for the rest of time, one third of mankind. He only chooses one son, his youngest son, and that line becomes cursed, not a third of mankind. Um, that line of Canaan uh, became steeped in wickedness, and, and they, became, they became enveloped by wickedness, a disgusting sexual practices, and a whole lot worse. Leviticus 18, in your notes, uh, talks about some of those things. You can read that. Uh, but it's, it's really only by God's grace that only part of mankind became cursed in that way by Noah. Uh, Canaan will be a servant of servants to his brother, the lowest kind of servant. Um, That's the confusion, hopefully, Lord willing, cleared up about the curse. The blessing is that the blessing doesn't go on Shem and Japheth. It goes to God. It goes to their God. Um, And it shouldn't be that confusing because really Shem and Japheth didn't do anything super special. (laughs) They just did what they should have done, right? But the blessing and the success and the glory always goes to God. And so, as we continue through Genesis, we're going to be seeing that Ham's sons make up the people groups of Egypt and Cush, and other people, the, the Canaanites who live in the promised land before Israel takes it. Shem is the, the father of the Semitic people, including Israel, the Hebrews. Japheth's line will come, uh, what, what comes through Japheth is the Greeks and the Romans, the Persians, later the Europeans. And so as you look back through history, Japheth has been enlarged for the blessing here. And, and the Semitic people, the, the Hebrews, have been blessed by God's word. And, and Japheth has benefited from that blessing. But after this, Noah, to finish out, lives to be 950 years old and then he dies. But why did he die? Because of sin. Because of sin and the effects of sin. So it continues. Mankind continues, but so does sin with it. And then God's grace overcomes that. So our application, what are, what are we taking from this and, and what do we leave from here with as we study chapter 9 of Genesis? It's a different world, it's a new world, it requires a new way of looking at the world. So we need to know, you need to know what you believe about God and yourself in this world. The world has all kinds of different ideas. And, and we're inundated by them all of the time in marketing and advertising and movies and books and entertainment and everywhere, everything around us. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. Know how you get there. Know why you're in the place that you're in. Finally, be consistent in that worldview. Examine yourself. You know, why do I think this? Why do I act that way? Why do I believe that? Is it because of something I've been told, something I've heard from from people in the world? Does it match up with what God's Word says? If it doesn't throw it out, adopt what God says. This is a constant process. I find myself doing this. After years of studying the Scriptures, I don't have it all together. (laughs) That's not a surprise for my family. (laughs) None of us have it all together. We've got to be continually doing this. Fall to your knees before this God and worship Him. Learn from Him. Grow in Him. Father, we praise You. We thank You that You are so good to us. God, thank You that You have given us so much. Thank You, Lord, that You've allowed us to have barbecue. (laughs) Father, thank you that you allow us to eat, that you allow us to breathe and to live. God, I pray that you would help us to share these blessings with others. Lord, the priority of the blessings of your truth in love, spoken to ourselves, spoken to one another, spoken to the people around us. God, use us to bring your truth, your message to the people around us. God, so many people around us have a Bible in their house. So many people have a phone that could reach the internet that has any translation of the Bible you could imagine. But God, so few are reading it. So few know what it says. God, that's, that's, that brings sadness to us, especially when we see that in, our, in the church, in your church. Father, we pray that you would grow us, that you would teach us, that you would show us how to study, how to learn, how to apply Lord, how to compare what we hear and, and throw out the bad and, and keep your word and keep what you have said. Father, we pray that you would use us for your glory. Thank you for your blessing, your grace to use us in that way. We look forward to the return of our Savior. Lord, we, we pray along with, jo- with John. Even so, Lord Jesus, come in his name.